Wow, wow, wow. Thank you. Woo! Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you for that. So I have a question. <laughs> have you ever eaten at a really fancy restaurant? It's the type of restaurant that Kanye West would say offers sparkling water and still water. You know what I'm talking about. When you walk into a magnificent place like this, the atmosphere is almost energetic. Everyone is well-dressed. And for the most part, you expect the staff to treat you with dignity and respect. You have your phone at the ready. You're going to Instagram every morsel that graces your plate. You know it's a nice restaurant when the serving sizes are as small as a stick of gum. And you have to hit up McDonald's on the way home. Are we on the same page? I went to a very bougie restaurant once with the love of my life. It was a place we had seen on TV. It was in New York City. Yeah, it was nice. I treat her well. One evening after this highly anticipated waiting period, we were with two of our closest friends, and we went to this restaurant. Now, when you arrive at a fancy restaurant, I discovered that there's usually only a few things on the menu, to my disappointment, because everything is freshly imported that day from France. I don't know. Somewhere internationally. And on that particular evening, I'll never forget, we ordered for the table king-sized prawns. Never had a prawn before. Never had a king-sized one. The closest I had come to something like a prawn growing up were fish sticks, right? I'll tell you, after that night, I have no interest in ever eating king-sized prawns ever again. Now, some of you don't know what a prawn is, do you? A king-sized prawn is like a shrimp with a mustache, but it, it has T.Y. Beanie Baby eyes. Has these little beady rat eyes that are negotiating with you not to eat it. Right? Please don't eat me. So I looked around this fine establishment. Most people were drenched in fancy garb. There were no men here, only sirs. No women, only madams. You get the point. The scene is set. And after eating one of the nicest meals I've ever had, the check arrived. <laughs> we covered our friends. And as I opened the check, my uh, heart fell into my sneakers. <laughs> and I watched as my entire, well, half of my paycheck, well, half my wife's paycheck magically disappear. It's like a magic show at the end of the dinner. It's dinner and a show. Watch as your wallet shrinks. So I want to make the case to you today that what I experienced at this fancy restaurant in New York City on a nice evening with friends is nothing like biblical, Holy Spirit-infused hospitality. 
don't get me wrong, things about this experience resonate with biblical principles, care, respect, concern, but we paid for it. I was a graduate student making ends meet. My spouse had a decent job. We gave up half of her paycheck to ensure that when we walked through those doors, we would be treated in a certain way. Listen to me. You cannot buy the kindness of God. You cannot muster up enough money in the world to purchase Holy Spirit hospitality. You should never be put on a waiting list to receive godly love. The hospitality I want to talk to you about today can be found in the most unlikely, mistreated, discarded, underrepresented, and even hostile places in the world. There's no sparkling water where I want to take you today. So please, if you would, open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I'm going to read at length here. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, This is the wilderness road. Somebody say wilderness road. So we got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself? Or somebody else. Then Philip began to speak and started with this scripture. He proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Somebody say, snatched. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So in the book of Acts, chapter 8, we're beginning to see the spread of the good news. Acts 1.8 is the thesis statement of the book of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, 
and the ends of the earth. Luke then organizes his second volume around the Holy Spirit's activity in these various places, eventually taking us to Malta, a small island on the Mediterranean Sea in chapter 28, the ends of the earth. Here in Acts chapter 8, the Spirit of God sends God's missionaries to Samaria. Philip and John heard that those in Samaria had accepted the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on those who were there. As an attentive reader of Acts, we should be asking page after page, where's the Holy Spirit going next? And in our passage today, after Samaria, God sent Philip to the south, to the wilderness road, the road that goes toward Gaza. So geographically, We're not in New York City. We're not in the finest restaurant in town. We're to the south, to the wilderness road. Philip encounters a man from Ethiopia, which in the reader's imagination is south of Egypt in northeastern Africa. Some would suggest possibly in Nubia. We're on a road. We're at the cross-section of what Willie James Jennings calls the site of difference. Luke signifies this man by his blackness, according to Jennings, as well as his status as an enslaved person. Now, he has some measure of status. He's a court official. He oversees the treasury. He can read at his leisure. But he's also a eunuch. Since he has official business with the queen, it would appear that he's been castrated. We know that men who became eunuchs were stigmatized, humiliated, and even physically abused by their superiors. On the road, the wilderness road, we encounter a black man with possible upward mobility because of his status as a court official, but serious limitations because of the stigma attached to his body and possibly as an enslaved person to the queen. Imagine being offered a position of prominence, but having to undergo bodily mutilation in order to get it. Let's be clear about something. This man is not free. His body is not his own. It was taken from him. So for the Jewish reader, this man represents what some philosophers call the face of the other. He is the face of difference. He is on the far margins of hospitality. But the scriptures tell us he's also a worshiper. He's probably like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He's a Gentile who worships the God of Israel. It's probably why he was reading the book of Isaiah in the first place. And here comes Philip. Let's pan the camera down the road 30 minutes. What's Philip doing? What's he up to? He's just wandering a road. The scripture doesn't say this, but what was going through his heart and mind? Is he afraid? Is he lost? This is a wilderness road. Are there marauders or bandits waiting around any rock or ridge to kill him and take his life? Philip has no idea where he is going, 
Let's review what the Holy Spirit told him. Get up, go, go. Those are the verbs. Get up, Philip, go toward the south, go toward the road. That's it. Philip's wandering a road aimlessly, probably afraid for his life, has no idea what he's about to encounter, and here comes a man seated in a chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. That's not luck. It's divine providence. The two men proceed to have a conversation in which Philip reveals to him the good news of Jesus. So what is this story have to do with the Holy Spirit and hospitality. I want to show you three things we can learn and apply from the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch today. Here's the first. Holy Spirit hospitality does not wait for others to come to us. We go to them. In a beautiful, bougie restaurant with sparkling water and bow ties, the staff wait for people to come. They have waiting lists. They don't move locations. They just wait. It's called the field of dreams mentality. If you build it, they will come. It's an effective strategy for most restaurants so long as they sell a good product. I would suggest to you from our scripture passage today that the field of dreams mentality isn't going to work anymore. It's not if you build it, they will come. It's they have built it. You should go. Here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we have a road, an internationally famous road, a wilderness road, in fact. It's called Chicago Avenue. You may have heard of it. I hope you've heard of it. It's no coincidence that North Central University is on Chicago Avenue. Following the murder of George Floyd, North Central University was jettisoned into the public eye. We were on national TV. People from our community came in these doors and we showed them godly love and hospitality. The leadership and care showcased by our institution was remarkable. I truly believe it was an act of God. But now, North Central University, it's time to get up and go. Here's my challenge to us this year. No more restaurant hospitality. No more field of dreams hospitality. No more waiting for our customers to arrive. we got to get up and go. We have to wander the roads. The Holy Spirit says to us, go toward the south, to the road toward Gaza, and see what you will find. No more restaurant hospitality. It's time to go. It's point number one. Point number two is this. The scriptures say that Philip ran up to the chariot and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Holy Spirit hospitality doesn't walk, it runs. After the year we've all had, I think it's easy for us to get used to a certain pace. Slow and steady wins the race. But here's what's interesting. 
A feature of the movement of God in the book of Acts and really in the New Testament more broadly is a quick pace. The Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh. Sons and daughters prophesy not next week, next semester, but right now. This is the degree of urgency that marks the tempo of godly hospitality. God doesn't have time. He's snatching people up. It's time to go. Now, again, if we compare this to the fancy restaurant, if you're sitting and waiting for an eight-course meal, you know it's going to take some time. Going to have to wait for those rat-eyed, king-sized prawns to get to the table. You might order some appetizers, or if you're at a restaurant like I was, they're hors d'oeuvres or French. Oh, don't get mad at me for this one, but we might say fast food is at the lower end of the hospitality spectrum. (laughs) We've all had that McChicken arrive with the lettuce over here and the mayonnaise over here, okay? Typically, fast food is made quickly with lower quality ingredients and poorly constructed. I think when we conceptualize the work of diversity and inclusion, it seems like an impossible task. (sighs) It's going to take forever. And on an official or systematic level, that's true. It takes time to explore new avenues, to change entire systems, to alter personnel. But there's another side to it. Holy Spirit hospitality is quick, but the product is never lowered in quality. It's a high-quality product. You can make a difference right now. Within the hour, you can go, run over, and apologize to someone for something you said. With speed and precision, you can attend an upcoming affinity group event this week just to check it out. I'll wait till next year. I'm not sure what I'm going to say. Now's the time. Let me teach you a new word. Alacrity. Say it with me. Alacrity. You can tell your parents you're learning new words at North Central. Alacrity. The word alacrity means ready with joy. Eager to do something, but cheerfully. The next time the Holy Spirit says to you, I need you to go talk to that person who looks, acts, behaves, votes differently than you, would you do so with alacrity? A joyful readiness. I'm ready to go. It's my second point. The third and final one is this. Holy Spirit hospitality seeks understanding. This one's important. Because if you do the first two and forget this third component, you're going to fall flat on your face. I've done it many times. Speaking from experience. The eunuch invited Philip to get into his chariot. It's not Philip's chariot. He didn't pay for it at Roman Chariot Depot. This is the eunuch's chariot. They're sitting next to each other. They're reading together. And before Philip says anything, he seeks understanding. What are you reading? Verse 32 says this, 
The passage of Scripture he was reading was, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. What was the eunuch's story? He was humiliated. He knew intimately justice denied. Now, he had some measure of influence, but he was likely enslaved. He had judgment placed upon his physical body by society. He would have been considered less than because of these social stigmas. But there they are, on a road, an in-between place. And it's only on a road that they're able to have this conversation in the first place. Not Philip's house. Not with Philip's friends. Not even at Philip's church. On the road. When you go to a fancy restaurant, the meeting is always on their terms. It's their property. They can kick you out if you don't pay. They have understanding, plenty of understanding, but it's conditional. They deeply, intimately care about what you want to eat so long as you pay for it. They're so nice and kind and patient for a tip. There's a transaction involved. It's what they do. This is not the economy of Holy Spirit hospitality. In Philip's case, he's in this man's chariot. He's in the eunuch's personal bubble. This is his terms. He's interested in his activity. Hey, what are you reading? He doesn't just hand him a track and walk off. I imagine he listens to him attentively. Do you know what it means to have justice denied? What is this word, humiliation? NCU and the surrounding region are your road. It's your in-between place. You're not home. You're not in your career yet. You're in-between. You're waiting, exploring, seeking, wandering. I encourage you as you go out, as you do so with alacrity, that you would seek understanding. Because without seeking understanding, something tragic can happen to our good intentions. We seek out people who are different than us, But we make assumptions, we stereotype, and we ignore divine possibility. It's as if Philip, at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, jumps at the ready to get out of his comfort zone. He runs up to the chariot with excitement. He doesn't want to get in. So he just starts talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And he never hears the eunuch's story. If you want to seek out the hospitality of the Holy Spirit, you have to follow Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. I'll invite the worship team to come back up to join me as I close. But I want to say this. Go get in someone else's chariot. Respectfully. Don't get me in trouble for saying that. (laughs) Get into a chariot that you would not normally get into. Attend a Mosaic event, an ASA event, an LU event. 
find a local charity to serve at. There's many in walking distance from us. Go get in someone else's chariot. Put your seatbelt on and seek understanding. Do not rely on your own understanding. Seek out someone else's perspective on the world. Can you do me a favor? Can we get rid of restaurant hospitality, please? Can we offer people the extravagant, boundless, unending love of God free of charge, not on our own terms, not in our own houses necessarily, but on their terms, in their houses, on their roads? No conditions, no caveats, just pure, unadulterated patience and genuine understanding. I want to close by telling you a story about a pastor. His name was Reverend James Joseph Reeb. James Reeb was born in Wichita, Kansas in 1927. He would later attend my alma mater, Princeton Seminary, in the 1950s, where he would earn his ministerial credentials. Upon graduating, Reeb was ordained at First Presbyterian Church in Casper, Wyoming. We might say he was born and bred a rural Midwestern American. Then one day, while watching TV, James Joseph Reeb saw the Civil Rights March from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. What a thing to witness. These marches included leaders such as Martin Luther King Jr. and the late John Lewis. The demographics of these marches were primarily black men and women with a few scattered white participants. Among the reasons for the marches was the right for black citizens to vote in America. During these peaceful marches, there was a violent uprising committed by mobs and even by state police against these protesters. We now refer to it famously as Bloody Sunday. It was during the height of this violence that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. issued a cry for help. Come join our march. And here's Reverend Reeb watching TV, and he decides to get up and go. A Midwesterner from Wichita, Kansas, takes up Dr. King's call to go to the Wilderness Road to the south. Join the march. Reeb marched hand in hand from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama with mainly black pastors and parishioners for the right to vote. We might say someone else's problem became Reeb's problem. Then one fateful night in 1965, a group of four white supremacists beat Reverend Reeb senseless for being seen in public with black Americans. He would later be pronounced dead at the University of Alabama Medical Center. Unlike the many black Americans who were beaten or killed during the marches, Reverend Reeb's story would spread all over the news the next day. It drew massive public attention to the marches, President Lyndon B. Johnson got involved. He personally called Reverend Reeb's widow to offer his condolences and meet with the Alabama state governor. 
President Johnson, his actions were apparently sent into hyperdrive over public concern of Reeb's death. And later that year, the same year Reverend Reeb died, Lyndon B. Johnson would sign into law the Voting Right Act of 1965. Reverend James Joseph Reeb is now remembered for his heroic act of running to the chariot of Dr. King. He went down the wilderness road. He got into someone else's chariot, and he joined this historic march for civil rights. Reeb shared his faith not with his mouth, but with his feet. Be a Reeb. Be a Reeb. Be a Reeb. Get up, go out, run to wherever the Holy Spirit may lead you, and listen to the cries for help. Get up, go out, run, and listen. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to hand it over to our worship team. But I invite you, as we close, to press into God. Press into the face of difference. Press into divine hospitality. We miss out on great things when we stay seated. God has great things in store for you, but you got to get up, go, and listen. Would you stand with me as I pray? God, we come to you as broken vessels, knowing that you are the God of divine possibility. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can encounter other stories that are different than ours. Through television, Netflix, Hulu, you name it, we can see the world from someone else's perspective, but we have a choice. We can dismiss it. We can discard it. We can plug our ears and sing a happy lullaby, but we can listen. God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would embolden us to listen, to be hospitable. No more restaurant hospitality this year. Let's go. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.